Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industry, brought to you by HDI, where service management and support professionals belong. Smarter service, better business, HDI, on the web at thinkhdi.com. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. Episode 12 of SpotCast is an interview with Doug Tedder. Doug is the principal of Tedder Consulting, LLC, an ITSM and IT governance consulting practice. Doug is a strategic, innovative, and solutions-driven service management professional with more than 25 years of experience across a variety of industries. He's a resourceful, pragmatic, and hands-on leader with a proven track record of success implementing ITSM processes, focusing on value delivery and organizational transformation. Doug is a fellow in service management an ITIL expert and V2 service manager, a certified ISO IEC 20000 consultant manager. He holds all of the ITIL capability certificates, and he's a certified ITIL foundation trainer. As an active volunteer within the ITSM community, Doug is a frequent presenter at industry user group meetings, webinars, and conventions. Doug, it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Let's talk about some of this enterprise service management stuff. It's getting to be a popular topic, multiple definitions and ways of expressing what ESM is. When you think about enterprise service management, how do you express it and what advantages does it offer to businesses? Well, that that's a great question, Roy. And, and first of all, thanks for having me on the, the podcast today. It's, it's a real pleasure to speak with you. You know, I, I think um, enterprise service management is one of those topics, uh, you know, I agree. Uh, it is really starting to gain some momentum, a lot of excitement around enterprise service management. Uh, but but you talk to several different people and you get several different interpretations. And um, my definition of enterprise service management is is really with an emphasis on the enterprise. I, I'd like to look at enterprise service management as a way to manage the services and, and information as they flow through a value stream uh, across an organization. Um, where, where I think a lot of, of companies are, are maybe sticking their toe in the water with respect to enterprise service management is they may be doing a, uh, a, a centralized service desk and calling that enterprise service management, or they're um, extending their ITSM tool out to various departments like an HR department or a facilities department and, and, and say basically have at it, you know, here you go, uh, stand up a, a request catalog and calling that enterprise service management. And, and um, in, in my opinion, I think those latter approaches really fall short of what an enterprise service management uh, environment ought to be. So what, when you think picture what that environment should look like, what should it include? It, it really has to look at the organization holistically. If you think about a, a company or organization, even today, companies still operate as what I like to call collections of parts. There's the HR department, and, and they have very definitive um, boundaries. There, there's the IT department, very definitive boundaries. Facilities, very definitive boundaries. The customer service department, very definitive boundaries. These, these are things that these entities um, do. There's, there's work and, and results and, and deliverables that each of these entities do, uh, but it's not clear oftentimes how the output from, let's say, the customer service department actually impacts the warehouse folks. 
And when, when I think about enterprise service management, that's the, that's the exact problem that enterprise service management should be addressing is what is the flow of information and, and services and goods and products from point of origin to point of delivery? And, and I think that's what enterprise service management ought to be attacking. No part of an organization is a silo, can't be a silo, can't be an island within an organization. It takes all parts of the organization working together with all other parts to move the company forward. And so that's, that's where I think enterprise service management can help and uh, where a lot of folks aren't really necessarily looking at enterprise service management in that way. In my recent conversation with Stephen Mann, he said something very similar to what you said at the beginning, which is that a lot of organizations consider enterprise service management to be a centralized service desk. That's their view. And you're taking a, a much more complete view of the whole organization and way beyond what the desk can do. Actually, in another conversation I had with Phyllis Drucker, she brought up the fact that when she thinks about enterprise service management, she thinks of verism, which is something that I wanted to talk to you about anyway. So how does verism fit with your description of enterprise service management? Thanks for the question. As you probably know, um, you know I, I've been involved with the development of verism from, from the beginning. I was a, uh, a contributing author to both books. Um, and also helped with a couple of uh, friends from uh, Australia, uh, authored the Pocket Guide. And the way the Verism kind of presented itself initially, um, and still does, is, is it talks about itself as a, as a approach to service management in the digital age. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. But the way I look at Verism is it's it's not just dependent upon the digital age. I think it is an approach to enterprise service management. It it really talks about the service provider as the entire organization, not just an entity within an organization. Uh, you know, in the traditional ITSM sense, we tend to talk about IT as being the service provider, and our colleagues uh, elsewhere in the business as being our customers. Uh, I've never thought that's true. Uh, folks, our colleagues in other areas of the business outside of IT are our colleagues. <laughs> They're not our customers. Uh, and, and our customers are, are uh, companies or people outside of the four walls of our business that do business and conduct business with, uh, with our business. So uh, in, in that regard, I think that's uh, one of the things that Verism really starts to promote is that, you know, the organization is service provider, not a department as service provider. And I think, uh, you know, in, in that regard, Verism is a fantastic model and, and provides great advice for enterprise service management, not just service management in the digital age, quote, unquote. Verism, as you know, you're certainly aware of it, and I'm aware of it because of my connections to the UK primarily, uh, has grown much more in Europe than it is on this side of the pond, as it were. Yeah. Do you think, do you find that as you talk to people about it, it's gaining traction here? Uh, you know, when I get a chance to talk about it, uh, I think people appreciate the message and, and they start to see the potential. I, I think that's part of our challenge. We're not talking enough about it over here on our side of the pond. Uh, and and I think there's some, some work to do. I, I think, you know, especially you know, given some of the very core concepts that Verism presents, you know, I talked about the uh, organization as service provider. I, I think that's key. 
Um, I, I think you know we we talk in various about you know things moving through the value stream. Uh, I think that's key. I, I think organizations need to recognize how uh, they interact with one another within their organization to to enable that delivery of value. Um, so so I think we've got some catch up to do. But but I'm optimistic because when I do get to talk about Verism, uh, it is a well-received message and people start to see the possibility. And Verism talks about itself as an approach rather than as a framework. Can you help people understand what that distinction is like? Yeah. You know, what a framework does in, in, in very simple terms, it just kind of gives you these uh, boundaries, if you will. Stay inside the boundaries, but this is what you need to do. And, and the way that I like to, to talk about a, a framework is if you build a house, you build a framework. Uh, and once you get that framework built, then you're deciding, okay, um, this is the color of the walls in this particular room, and, and these are the appliances that I'm going to put in the in the kitchen, and, and this is the carpeting that's going to go in, and so on and so forth. Um, you and I could have a very similarly built house based on the same floor plan and framework, but our, the interior of our house is going to look very differently because of choices that we make to satisfy our personal preferences. So that that's what a framework does. Uh, and, and, you know, you stay within the framework where Verism differentiates, say that three times fast, differentiates itself from a framework is uh, it, it doesn't necessarily provide that kind of guidance with respect to the walls of the house using the same analogy. But what it does do is it provides you guidance with how to approach building your house and things you should consider, and other factors, other capabilities that ought to be considered as well. Um, frameworks have a tendency to talk about one specific organization within a, a company, whereas you know the Verism approach is really looking at the org, uh, organization holistically. So that, that would be a couple of ways that I would try to differentiate you know, why we talk about Verism as an approach versus Verism as a framework. Um, the second thing I would say is that Verism is building upon other frameworks. So what I mean by that is if you are a um, COVID shop or you leverage ITIL or you've done some things with uh, other methodologies, other frameworks, Verism wants to build from there. It doesn't want to reinvent anything that those frameworks are trying to do. Um, so, so that's the other reason why that we refer to Verism as an approach and not a framework. Thank you for that. Uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand the distinction, and, and that was a very good explanation of, of what that means. A little bit earlier on, you were talking about how the whole organization has to operate as an organization. And one of the blogs that you recently wrote was about how to defeat silo mentality. Can you, can you talk about that just a little bit? Because it's very easy for us to fall into that. This is what I do. It doesn't matter to me what you do. I do my part of this assembly of services or parts or whatever and pass it on to somebody else who does something else with it, which is an assembly line mentality, as we know. How do, right. you, how do you get over that? Yeah, it, it's, it's tough because you're you're absolutely correct. We have a tendency, and, and a lot of this goes back to – uh, you know, I, 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 if I were to point a finger at a, a you know a factor or a symptom or cause of of this silo mentality that we often fall into, is that the the way that the organization is uh, organized. Now that sounded grammatically correct, but the way companies are organized, the org chart 
has a tendency to kind of drive folks into silos uh, because we become in, uh, internally focused. We want to accomplish our departmental goals, and we, we focus on that. That's what we're rewarded upon. Um, and that causes us to start to think in that terms. Hey, I did my part. Uh, I can't help it what the next person down the line did, and, uh, and, and really that's not my way of thinking about it. So that's not how businesses work. And if I'm a customer of a business, I'm doing business with the business. I'm not doing business with just the customer service department, or if I'm an employee, uh, you know, I depend upon more than just the facilities organization for me to have a positive work environment. You know, HR and and other parts of the organization also contribute to that as well, and and that's where we've got, that's how we have to overcome this silo mentality is recognizing that that the only way that an organization is going to be successful is first to collaborate and communicate. And, and second, to recognize that together we all succeed. Uh, one part of the organization making all of its sales plans and that kind of thing doesn't help when we're having backlogs in manufacturing. You, oh, you know, example after example, if I can't onboard somebody into my organization in a timely fashion, the entire organization suffers. Not only just the new employee, but the organization suffers. So... We've got to overcome this silo mentality, and we, we've got to start recognizing that at the end of the day, the customer is doing business with the business, not just with me or my department. Coming from a customer service and service background, I think of how that one point of contact that you have with the organization represents the entire organization to that customer who's outside your walls, too, making it exceedingly important that that person represent the, the company in a, in a positive manner. Yeah, and I think I think that is, you know, to your point, Roy, I think that is one of the most significant drivers for why we need to adopt this approach of enterprise service management. At the end of the day, yeah, I don't want to replace the customer service organization, uh, and I don't want to devalue what they do because they bring a set of skills typically that you won't find in other parts of the organization, and then they become the face to the company. But, um, you know, if these other things are not in place, uh, that they soon lose credibility. They, they soon lose the ability to relate to the customer and, and really make the customer happy. And especially given where we are now in, um, you know, in, in the digital age, you know, the, the consumer is always on, is always connected. The store never closes. And it just behooves us to, to enable that customer experience that that the uh, the business wants to promote and the customer wants to consume, and and this is where enterprise service management I think can be uh, extremely powerful if if done well. I was giving a presentation on metrics at a conference and I asked a question. I said, if your metrics are in alignment with the goals of your business, and you're achieving good success, what is the result of that? And somebody who was sitting right in the front of the room gave me the most wonderful answer, and I've quoted it often. He happened to work for a railroad, and his answer was, the trains run on time. So here he is in a service desk looking at metrics that represent the service desk and knowing that their success means that the trains run on time. So there's the business result. Yeah. And it was one of the clearest expressions of the delivery of value across the company that I've ever heard. I like that. Maybe maybe I should. Uh, that's a great example, and it's and it's so um, it's so uh, eloquent, and it's just it's so succinct, but yet it says so much. I, I, okay, Roy, I'm stealing that one. I'm gonna. The trains are on time. I like that. 
I, I think I think there's a license agreement you have to you have to oh, sign. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. Send, send over the form in triplicate, and we'll get there, it. There you go. <laughs> so, speaking of such things, in addition to uh, consulting, you do training as well, and. I always love the quote, and whether it's apocryphal or not, I originally heard it that it was, uh, it had, this happened at IBM, where the chief operating officer came into the CEO, who of course was uh, Mr. Watson, and said, uh, you know, we're going to spend $600,000 to train these engineers. What happens if we train them and they leave? And Watson's answer was, what happens if we don't train them and they stay? Oh, I've always loved that example. So can you talk to me about what from your perspective, you see as the value of training and, and, and what do you think it brings to the organization? I'll just start right out. I think training is one of the most valuable investments that an organization can make in its employees. People tend to do better when they understand how to do what they need to do and then what's expected of them. Uh, a lot of times there are expectations placed upon employees within an organization, but they are never given that other part of the equation. They, they don't know even how to start it. So there, there's where training comes in and, and can become, uh, you know, that key enabler or key differentiator uh, to make um, – you know, transform people from just being resources into capabilities. Because at the end of the day, that's what you want out of a of a training uh, exercise. You you want to transform people that have every good intention and they're smart and they're willing to do. And you want to transform them just from being, uh, and, and pardon the term, a, a raw material, into a a capable contributor to the organization. That's what training can do for you. Uh, and and I think a lot of times. Yeah, there there have been various approaches. I you know I personally gravitate toward in-person training, only because you know yeah it is a little more expensive, but at the same time you get that in-person experience. You can ask questions in real time. You can have conversations that may or may be a little off the topic, but yet relevant. Uh, and, and, and I think it's a much richer training experience. There are cheaper ways of doing it, of course. You could do, you know, it's computer-based training and you sit and watch a video. And, and I don't want to devalue that. There is value to doing it that way. It does share some level of knowledge. But I think a good trainer can bring the topic alive, uh, can really bring it to life, can can bring insights and experience Um and, and that's what I try to do when I deliver trainings. I, I try to bring, you know, I, I have some real-world experience, I, I would like to think. I've made more than my fair share of mistakes. I probably made a couple of mistakes today, and I'm darn proud of that uh, because it's a learning opportunity. And, and if I can help someone learn from my mistakes, I think that's, you know, win-win for not only me but also for the students. So. That, that's what I think training brings to, to an organization. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, I'll put my plug in. You know, sign up for some training. And, and as an instructor, as, as I was just recounting the story about the metrics answer that the trains were on time, anytime I deliver a talk on a particular topic or go through a workshop with, with some folks, I find that I learn at least as much as they do. And I'm sure that you feel the same way. I, I tell every class that, that I lead that, you know, here, you know, there's a couple of objectives. One, of course, I want you to learn something. I, I want you to pass if there's a certification exam associated with it. I'm going to do everything I can to, to help you be prepared to pass. But, you know, I'm a little selfish in that regard because I, I, I've been doing training professionally now for about 10 years. Without fail, I go through a class and I learn something every time. And it's a little selfish, and that's what I tell people. I'm here to learn, too. 
and I'm not afraid to tell folks, you know, you ask me a question and I don't know, I'm going to tell you first, I don't know. But second, I'm going to tell I'm going to go find out. And there's, there we, great. I've learned something. They learned something. We've learned together. Um, the there questions that I get asked make me think. I appreciate that. I, I look forward to that. I really enjoy that aspect of training is getting the questions and, and having that opportunity to learn right alongside the student. Just to put a, a, a dome over some of the things that we've been talking about, what are, what are two or three things that you think organizations really need to get right about their approach to IT? Or maybe it's not their approach to IT. Maybe it's approach to their business. Uh, and as we head toward 2020 now, and, and we're facing a world of emerging technologies, as we are well aware, and a lot of change going on all around us in, in terms of digital transformation and in terms that we're very familiar with, maybe too familiar with. <laughs> so what are some things that we really need to get right? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I, I guess the first thing that, that I would um, say is it's really easy to fall in love with technology. But that's a fleeting kind of love because the today's technology is tomorrow's artifact is next week's museum piece. Technology is always going to change. So it's really, at the end of the day, it's not about the technology. It's about something else. And, and what I think that something else is, is customer experience. It really is getting a focus on the customer, understanding the customer, the dynamics of how businesses and customers now interact has changed dramatically. It used to be not that long ago that it was a very one-sided kind of thing. I, uh, I'm a business. I supply uh, goods and services to a customer. I have a captive audience. And I can dictate a whole lot about that relationship just based on supply and demand. I can I can increase supply can decrease supply but the only place that you can get what i deliver is from me in the digital age not true anymore i I can go anywhere and i can go anywhere within a click of a button so we really have to you know one of the things that businesses must get right is get away from the enamorment with technology get to what is the customer experience and and how do i serve that customer how do i know my customer and how do i get to uh, understand what that customer needs the the second thing that that we've talked about for a long time now but it it really is going to come to the forefront and and that's the culture of the organization uh culture is not plug and play and it becomes imperative upon um all parts of the organization but especially leadership to communicate values uh, to to walk the talk, set the right expectation, lead by example. What culture do you want your uh, organization to exhibit? Because in especially in the digital age, all of us are on the front lines now. Whether we're working in a quote back office function or uh, really facing the customer like a customer service representative or something, we're all facing the customer. We have to exhibit that same culture throughout the organization, regardless from where we sit, because that culture, it becomes very evident to the customer what we're about, who we are, what our company values. And if we all aren't exhibiting that, uh, we're going to suffer. And, and the customer will notice it very immediately and move on. I think the impacts of those two things are really going to make the difference as we head into 2020. Technology, eh, you know, okay, great. It, it's common. We're always going to have technology. We're always going to have the latest and greatest of something that's just the world in which we live. It's not about the technology. I think it's about those other two things. And it's interesting to me that 
um, as I do these interviews and as I talk to people at conferences or meetings or whatever, almost invariably the people who are enraveled in technology through their work life as we are, are the first to say it's not about the technology. And <laughs> it's, it's very fascinating to me that, to see how hard we have worked to get that message across that the other stuff matters at least as much as the technology, if not far more. Yes. And it's a, it's a tough message, I think, and, and people really need to hear it. Yeah, it, it just strikes me what would be possible if organizations spent as much time and energy investing in cultural change as they do in other other aspects, like purchasing technology or, or new systems or whatever that is. If they would spend just as much money or an effort on the cultural aspect of this, what would happen to an organization? Um I, I think of the possibilities, and, and I just I see such a positive outcome for a company that will do that. And I think that positive out, outcomes for organizations and, and businesses and uh, universities and all the different types of organizations that we deal with is what we're all about, right? That's That's what I think all of us in this industry really want to see happen is that there's success. And if it happens to involve uh, technology and information and the flow of information, so much the better, because that's the currency in which we deal. Yeah. But I, I think all of us are focused on on that eventual success, and it's intriguing to see how how much momentum there is. I think within the industry towards driving that business success, and and I hope that that message is coming across. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I think it's critical for especially the service management and the support industry um, that that's the attitude that we take um, because I think the successful IT professional will take that attitude and, and those that don't embrace that kind of approach will soon them find themselves on the outside looking in. And that may be a little harsh, but I, I truly believe that. I think you are probably correct. And uh, it's a it's a fascinating world right now. It's changing rapidly and we're happy to be part of it i think both of us oh yes oh yeah i, I you know i'm having fun and that's that's always my litmus test am i still having fun absolutely i'm having more fun than ought to be allowed by law well i th certainly thank you for your generosity with your time doug and i appreciate your talking to me and uh you'll be at the hdi conference in yes. april so yes april 7th to 12th and uh You'll be giving actually a work a pre-conference workshop on incident management. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We'll have two days to talk about uh, incident management and its importance and, and how how to make your incident management uh, process the most effective going forward. So I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, if you haven't signed up for uh, a pre-conference workshop and you're coming to conference in, in April, uh, have a look at the incident management pre-conference. I'd be uh, happy to have you in the conference and, or uh, uh, workshop, and I'd look forward to meeting you. That's super, and I look forward to seeing you in Orlando then, Doug. And I want to thank you again for being with us on SpotCast. Thank you, Roy. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more about HDI, visit us on the web at thinkhdi.com and see Support World for great content. I'm Roy Atkinson, your host for SpotCast. Have a comment or question? Just tweet with the hashtag SpotCast, S-P-O-C-C-A-S-T. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care. <laughs>